morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. Uh, today uh, began uneventfully and it rap- rapidly escalated as I innocently prepared to go to church at our local church. And my brother-in-law emailed me and said he, he was supposed to come for lunch afterwards and he couldn't come and Maybe I should let Sung know if I'm available. And, of course, that was like 5.30, 6 o'clock this morning. So how much time do you need to prepare a sermon anyway? But I uh, am glad to be here. I always have uh, fond memories of this church from many years back. As I've said before, uh, Pastor Dan Traer was a very good friend, uh, the first person I ever discipled when he was still working for the government before he even went to seminary. So uh, good to be back here. Good to see my old point guard, Sarah Bailey, over here, who I coached in high school and hadn't seen for 40-some years, I suppose. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, at any rate, uh, good to see Sarah, and I'm so glad that this worked out this morning. I was actually standing in the foyer of our church in Ellicott City when the decision was made that I would go home and get changed out of my casual attire and join you folks today. So anyway, this brings us to our text this morning, which is Matthew chapter 11, a familiar passage that many know. Trust that you can turn there and uh, uh, follow along. Matthew 11, verse 28, the end of the chapter. We have there the invitation that Jesus extends. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now this is a fascinating passage, which is why we know it so well. There may be someone here this morning who's actually read the uh, book released maybe uh, two years ago by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. Anybody here happen to be familiar with this book? Okay, I see a couple hands. And uh, he deals with this verse in detail, or these three verses. So I highly recommend that as a possible resource if you're really interested in what's going on in these three verses. Uh, but I'll try to condense some thoughts this morning. Uh, this is set in a context, like every incident in the Gospels. It has a situation. If we went all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 11, we would see that Jesus sent out his disciples. Then we have kind of a parenthesis there because uh, in the next uh, few verses, he gives us John's backstory. Well, that doesn't really fit with verse 1, but it's important to what's going to follow. And so Matthew gives us this little encounter uh, uh, with John and how he ended up in prison. And that's verses 2 to 6. Then verses 11 to 19, Jesus decides that he needs to comment on John, give John's backstory, and reflect on John and how he was rejected by the people. 
And that leads Jesus in verses 20 to 24 to denounce all these cities that have decided to renunciate John and who are unrepentant and unbelieving. See, all this has just happened in this context. And we're told in verse 25 that Jesus at that time, notice that statement, at that time, Jesus decides that he's going to express gratitude to his father. And so he does, verses 25 to 27. And there he emphasizes what he calls infants, who are apparently those who are childlike in their faith and in their acceptance of John's message and of Jesus' message. And that finally brings us then to verse 28, which begins, Come obviously. Now just stop there for a minute. That's an easy word to slide right past, isn't it? A little four-letter word that we use a lot, and so obviously it can't have a whole lot of meaning here. You know, it kind of gets us into the text, but it doesn't tell us a whole lot. But just stop for a minute and think about this. When was the last time somebody told you to come Perhaps it goes all the way back to childhood where your name was called and your mother or your father were calling you. Perhaps it was pleasant. I would like to hear my mother saying, come David, I have some ice cream for you. But quite often it was a very different kind of come. Something had gone wrong, I had messed up, misbehaved, and I'm being ordered to come. Now, in this is, is the kinds of stuff that the text can't give us. We weren't there. We don't see Jesus' body language. Like my mother, maybe with her hands on her hips. We don't see his facial language like my mother frowning at me, perhaps. We don't hear the tone like my mother, perhaps raising her voice just a decibel or two in her frustration with me. I know you're going to leave here thinking my mother was the worst person in the world, uh, but it's just merely illustrative. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Sarah, of course, your parents are exceptions, and so we won't. But at any rate, think about what he said. What's he doing here? How is he saying this? What are his listeners hearing? I was interested in the selection of the hymn this morning. Uh, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Of course, you didn't know I was going to preach on Matthew 11, but I did. And I caught that title, and I was looking at those words and thinking about them. The hymn writer says, Come you thirsty, come and welcome. It says, Come ye weary, heavy laden. That's right out of this passage, isn't it? And so then the response is, I will arise and go to Jesus. So this hymn, though it's couched in terms of just getting uh, sinners to come, is much richer than that, and especially this passage is much more complete as well. He's not simply talking to sinners. He's talking to people in general who need to come to him. And so it's a warm, exciting, energetic kind of expectant thing. I don't know what you hear when you hear these words, especially from Jesus. There are those who have become somewhat cynical. Not always because of Jesus, perhaps because of the church. Perhaps because of other Christians. Perhaps because of life. 
and different afflictions that they have undergone, but they become somewhat cynical, and they don't want to think about Jesus inviting them because they attach him to all kinds of other negative ideas. And so here we have this almost uh, lavish, generous, open invitation to come to Jesus. Let me also point out that he didn't say come to church. Now, I'm only pointing that out because it needs to be said. That is, it's great that we're here this morning. Gathering of believers together is right and appropriate, but that's not what Jesus is saying. There were no church gatherings at this point. There were synagogue gatherings, and there were bands of disciples. He says, come to me, to me, the person. Come to Jesus, the person. I suspect, I can't prove it, but I suspect that this idea got its germ in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, where Isaiah, after Israel has come through its terrible season of exile, has God speaking, and it begins, Ho, everyone that thirsts. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar. I mean, that's... That's a good King James translation. Uh, but that word ho just never made it for me. I didn't, we don't say things like that. We might say yo, but we don't say ho. So what's he saying there? And, and probably a better translation that some have used there is hey, it's an attention getter. There's urgency. Come. Three times in Isaiah 55 verse 1, there's an invitation to come. And it's warm and it's friendly and it's generous and it's lavish because uh, the, those who are there are, uh, who need to come are simply thirsty and have no money. Come and buy, though you have no money. Kind of a contradiction in terms, but yet the statement there is so outlandish, Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Jesus just loves this, and I think this is perhaps where he got this idea in Matthew 11, but... But, but there are other occasions, and we need to, to, to have in our minds this idea that the invitation to Jesus is extended often. In John chapter 1, uh, some of his early kind of formative group of apostles or disciples said, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. Well, how did he say that? Well, they went. They must have thought, he sounds okay. He's not threatening us. He's not angry. Let's go and see. And that's the early stages of coming to Jesus. Just come and see. Then we have ideas like in Revelation, the the Bible, the last two chapters, closes with these kinds of invitations. Revelation 21, verse 9. Angel says to John, come here, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I want to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I can't get over that verse. The angel didn't say, come here, I want to show you the lamb. said, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Of course, we know the bride to be the church, the redeemed people who will marry Jesus and live in a marital union with him throughout eternity in the new Jerusalem. Come here, I want to show you the bride. Come on. And of course, Jesus has no objection to that. Or in Revelation 22, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Bride invite people 
to come. They say, come. Let the thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to drink come. This is the Jesus that we proclaim and we need to proclaim and we need to be convinced of this in our own personal lives that he has extended this invitation to us to come and he continues to extend it. It's not enough to say, well, at one point I heard this invitation and I came to Christ and he saved me, so I've come. No, that's not the idea here. That's great. I did the same thing. Age six, I came and, and, and I know that I trusted in Christ for my salvation. But the point here is much different. He's not simply saying, come to be saved. He's saying, come to me, come to me as a person. Well, who are these people that are to come? They're those who are labor, laboring. And they're burdened down. They're, they're laden with gifts, and they're laboring. Well, what has worn them out? What is it that's got these people so exhausted and and spent in their energies that Jesus detects this and says, come to me. Those of you, if you're here today and you're worn out and you have exhausted yourself, come to me. And there's a couple of possibilities. I have an idea that I'll share by the end of this sermon, which is uh, coming up. But of course, there's always a possibility this is just normal stuff. People are tired. People are worn out. People feel like they are exhausted from life in general. And that's always been the case. It's nothing new in the, 20, in the year 2022, but maybe that's a bit of it. Anybody can come to him who feels like they're worn out or tired. But I think there's a special burden, a special weariness. And surprise, surprise, it comes attached to religion. It's the, it's the wearying, exhausting efforts to please God and to please those who represent God. This is, a, this is a theme throughout Matthew. There are those who are in religious leadership, known as the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders of the people, who pronounce things upon the, their followers and these these are onerous burdens. These are heavy loads to care, carry. And I'll return to that as we finish up this morning. So this first invitation, is the first of three, is to come. It's to come to the weary. It's offered to the weary. And it's given then with the assurance that if you do take him up on this, he says, I will give you rest. Well, obviously, the rest is from the burdens, whatever they are. But what is this rest? And how do we get this rest, we might wonder. And that idea will resurface as well in this passage. So that's the foundation then for this text. The first invitation of three. Come, extend it to an audience that's weary and burdened down with the assurance that rest will be given if they take him up on this invitation. That brings us to the second invitation. Take my yoke, verse 29. Right, so that's the second one. Come is the first. Come to me. Second one, take my yoke. And yet, this really doesn't make sense. I mean, 
what animal says that they are going to be rested by having an, a yoke put upon them? That's a burden. That's not a solution to any problems. That helps certain things, but it's certainly the one who's wearing the yoke doesn't say, wow, that's great. I'm so glad that's on me. That's so refreshing. So you got a little bit of a, a, a nonsensical response here, which I love about Jesus. He surprises his audience with the things that he says. How is a yoke restful anyway? I keep saying this, but this comes back at the end of the passage because Jesus is building an argument and he's repeating certain ideas. So the first invitation, come to me. You're weary, you're tired. If you do, take me up on it. I assure you, you will find rest. Second invitation, take my yoke. I'm sure that raised eyebrows. Wait a minute, didn't he just say he was going to give us rest? Now we've got to take a yoke? And that brings us to the third and final invitation. Learn from me. Come, take, learn. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. You see how all of this is Jesus drawing people to himself as a person. It's reflecting the fact that there's something about who he is, his person, his character. Not religious trappings, not other things, but he himself is the one to whom they are to be drawn. If there's a strategy of Satan, it's this. Let me get people to look at anything but Jesus. Let me get people to think about anything but Jesus. Let me get people to come to anything except Jesus. Come, take, learn. I think that's kind of a sequence. It makes logical sense. You can't take if you come, and you can't learn if you don't take. So the process of coming to Jesus puts us in a position where we find him and who he is as a person, we find him inviting, and we say, I want to wear that guy's yoke. I like what I see. I like what I hear from him. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a position where we can become learners. You know, there's another take command I'll just toss in here, because it's important for us to think about the strategy that Jesus has in the Gospels quite often. Here we have come, take, Learn, But there's another take, and that's the taking up of the cross. That's in a different passage. Be a few chapters later in Matthew. Take up my cross. And I tend to think that that's at a later point in the gospel for a very important reason. Because if we have not come to him and taken his yoke and learned from him, there's no way we would be willing to take up his cross. Taking up his cross is the result of this relationship, especially learning. It's a relational learning. We learn from Jesus about who he is. And as we get in touch with him and in his setting and in his mind, we find ourselves in a position where we've learned enough about him that we're willing to take up his cross. Now, there's actually two reasons why he gives these statements here. 
don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, the first one is in verse 29. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's kind of giving a cause. What would cause someone to say, yeah, I think I'll take up his yoke and learn from him. Sounds like a good idea. What would make anyone do that? And he says, the reason is, is because I am meek and lowly. Because of who I am. Don't worry about the yoke, worry about me. This is who I am, and it's my yoke then guess what kind of yoke that's going to be? It's my yoke. Meek and lowly are words that are kind of flexible, I guess. We throw them around occasionally. The idea of meekness is really unassuming. Not thinking of oneself more highly than one ought to think. Not taking oneself personally too serious. Now, I know that sounds a little weird for Jesus. If anybody should take themselves seriously, it's Jesus. And if anyone should think of themselves highly, Jesus shouldn't. And yet Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, who did not count it something to grasp after to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. And so this idea of unassuming is how Jesus is relating to people. The second word there, uh, lowly, uh, is simply means unpretentious. No act here. I what you see is what you get, and so you can come, take, and learn because I am unassuming and unpretentious. You want this kind of yoke. People are desperate for this kind of yoke. They may not know it. They're looking for a yoke. And we dare not mislead them by by doing anything or saying anything that points them away from Jesus. We can't afford to be in a position where we're getting people to clean up their lives so they can come to Jesus. We can't afford to be in a position where we're uh, uh, prompting people that first you've got to come to church so you can find Jesus. No, we don't want to do that, do we? We want to, people to find Jesus and see all the things that will come as a result. Then he repeats the assurance. You will find rest for your soul. When you take my yoke and learn, you'll know that I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and that's fine. You'll be happy with my yoke, and you will find rest. Verse 30, a second reason. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is an explanatory kind of for word. That is, he's saying, this is the reason why, why coming, taking, and learning will result in you finding rest. Here's the reason why. My yoke is different. And you see, this really focuses the attention on the real concern of Jesus. Throughout most of Matthew, there is this Jesus who is relating to common people who are coming to him, the tax collectors, the sinners, the, the, um, the prostitutes, the common people, the Gentiles, and hungry Jews who want to know God more deeply. That's, that's the surface kind of thing that we see with Jesus, but there's another thing going on which is a little bit below the surface, and that's this constant humming and attacking that he's getting from the religious leadership of Israel. 
And to that, Jesus has a seething anger that will surface in Matthew chapter 23, where he just lets it all out in a scathing denunciation of them and everything about them. You see, it's that that underneath kind of uh, ongoing tension in the in Matthew that's that is uh, prompting Jesus to have such compassion on those who are being oppressed by religious rules and doctrines. Matthew twenty three, Jesus will accuse the Pharisees of tying up heavy burdens. Matthew twenty three, verse four putting heavy loads on people. Same idea we have here, those who are heavy laden. In Acts chapter 15, the apostles are trying to figure out what to do with Gentile converts. And they say, well, one thing we can't do is place a yoke upon the neck of the disciples that we could never bear. Notice that word yoke. What are they talking about? We can't compel them to come back under a religious system that is suffocating spiritually. So they agree in Acts 15, 28 to add no greater burdens. And so the lack of rest, probably in this passage, is for all of those who have come under this suffocating weight, this blanket that the religious leadership threw over people and wore them out and discouraged them and caused them to live in guilt because they could never measure up. And it's to those people that Jesus just says three things. Come, come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. This is a spectacular turn of events for all the people who are listening to him at this point. This is what many of them are longing to hear. The fact that this is the case is just seen in the next chapter. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, what did Jesus do? He went in the fields and on the Sabbath picked corn with his disciples. And what did the religious leaders do? They said, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And you may note the irony of that. Because what is the purpose of the Sabbath? To give people rest. And the very institution that God ordained that would give people rest is the very institution they are using to suppress people. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, I will give you rest. You can have that rest even if you appear to be breaking the Sabbath. You can still rest. Because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So for all of us here today, I trust that we are able to uh, be encouraged to tweak our view of Jesus a bit, I'm not suggesting that we're way off. I'm constantly tweaking my view as I read Scripture, and I'm saying I need to kind of fine-tune my attitude and my views about Jesus so that I can be sure that all those that I encounter will, will not be misled by the wrong Jesus, but will get the Jesus who says, come, take, and learn. And Father, we thank you for this text. We're so grateful for this wonderful passage, and for Jesus who uh, so clearly uh, calls us to himself. And I pray for each of us here today as we hear your word that we will find ourselves drawn to him, not distracted 
by the things that put us off, but drawn simply to him who alone has a yoke that's gentle and who can give us rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.